0: Hey, everybody. Rob North here from the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades podcast. Just saying that if you like what we do and you'd like to support us financially and get access to exclusive content, you can go to patreon.com slash trrpod. As always, hold fast and on with the show.
1: back to it, but I'll well, tell let's, you what. We'll flesh it out, because like, this, yeah. this is a good one.
0: So, to, to put a long story short, um, we were discussing the Great Emu War. The Great Emu War occurred um, right after World War One in Australia, uh, after a lot of the Anzac troops were coming back from war. Uh, they'd had a bit of an overpopulation problem with emus, and uh, they you know they would do these emu calls on a pretty regular basis, but when all the menfolk are away, they sort of let let it slide. I'm oh, sorry, I just do I just <laughs> it for the, for the Wikipedia uh, it, it actually
1: turns out it was November 2nd 1932, oh, so really? it's just prior to the start of the second world war, but yeah. I'll tell you the next entry as we get a little further on. here, <laughs> but apparently to make a
0: long story short there was a massive emu overpopulation problem, they decided the way that they were going to solve it was with military technology they had all this military surplus stuff that was brought back, uh, supplied during the first world war, and so they just decided to use things like uh, machine guns uh, rifle grenades, things like that.
1: Well, I mean, an emu's is an eighty-pound bird, like this. It's a gigantic bird. Yeah, you're gonna want to, you're gonna want to put them down.
2: Basically, velociraptors.
0: Yeah, front, but you bring up a very interesting problem. Emus are fast. <laughs> In yeah, they were, were going to give like six or seven thousand guys land. Yeah, but the land was overrun with emus. So they're like, I got an idea. I got an idea. This. And so these guys would try to use machine guns these lewis guns on the emus they couldn't track the guns fast enough to catch the emus they were moving too quickly and it's been you know a decade and a half almost since the first world war so a lot of these guys are out of practice oh, no. so you have australia declaring war on emus and the emus won yeah the
1: uh, hey. it just says result failure result <laughs> failure <laughs> I mean, like these are trained riflemen and they did they did pretty well so but they only killed 3 or 4000 out of a flock of like 30000
0: they wanted, yeah, they wanted the call. They they got about one tenth as many emus as they wanted to say. The first day, the first attempt they made with a machine gun, this is this is a Vickers machine gun, six hundred fifty rounds a minute. They fired the first attempt they made at it. They expended five or uh, twenty five hundred rounds of machine gun ammunition and killed no emus.
3: And I can just see one <clears throat> colonel standing there, mm-hmm. shaking his head. With the face bomb, with the with, with the Jean-Luc Picard face bomb. It
1: was a major.
3: Was it a major? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's going... P W Meredith of the Seventh Heavy Battery of the Royal Australian
3: Artillery. <laughs> and he's going, I spent six months in fucking Gallipoli for this. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also the understanding <laughs>
0: Australian <laughs> attitude is. <laughs> they when they completely fucked it up, but they're at the end they're going. Well, fellas, at least we had a good die. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had fun, and that's what matters. Two days
1: later, the emus had their revenge. <laughs> 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 this, this article, so is this when they seized the weapons? Well, the, this is uh, the concealed gunner sighted 1,000 emus nearby waiting patiently for them to make their way over. At point-blank range, says Johnson, soldiers opened fire, felling maybe 10 or 12 emus. <laughs> well, then their guns jammed, and then... It turns out whenever you fire a machine gun into a flock of emus, they scatter. They freak the fuck out and run away. And then you just you can't pick an individual target because they run like 45 miles an
3: hour. This is the prequel to the great WKRP turkey drop in oh
1: 1979. I I thought you
3: could kill an emu. <laughs> Les Nessman was out there going, Man, Oh, the, a, humanity. oh <laughs> the
1: humanity!
3: <laughs> that's, that's a call deep
0: cut reference there, Padre. Well done. Well done. Showing your age a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So, America i America did
1: the math on uh, it. Took 10 bullets to bring down every single emu, which was a pretty dismal effort. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah.
0: That's not great. That is not great. All right, everybody. Welcome to the uh, the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades Great Emu War. My name's Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. I am Michael Ernett,
2: And I am Kyle Graper.
0: We are all... Tired, we're all out of it. (laughs) It's been a long
1: day.
0: We're recording on a Monday. We're all physically and emotionally beat up. So yeah, we're in great shape to bring you a fresh new podcast. And you had a bar crawl.
1: I'm gonna I didn't go to the bar
3: crawl. No, you had to serve a bar crawl, didn't you? No, it stayed on the other side of the river. Uh, our friends Um, are on the
1: four one two Pittsburgh Clothing Company to the building bridges bar crawl. Uh, to everybody that participated, thank you very much. Um, to everybody that didn't make it to my bar at the end of the night, super shit face, thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I'm still, I'm, like, you guys have to carry the wire, because I'm just reading about this article. Like, I'm just going through this whole fucking thing. <laughs> well, we'll do a deep dive on the Great of War at a later date. Instead, they just gave ammunition to the locals, and they just let them handle it. Well... It, you mean months, like they handled every other emu call
0: that had gone before? In
1: six months, the locals killed fifty seventy thousand emus.
3: God. Maybe that's what is they... that
1: is that why the birds on the coat of arms? Because the, the emus on the Australian coat of arms. Is
0: huh? it? Is it? Is it? Why it is. I, I mean, it's. I know it's probably on the coat of arms because it's. If the emu can't. Very abundant. I, I think it's just because it's very abundant wildlife I and. I, well, because when, it's you, a fucking to, emu. Oh, <laughs> awesome. no, no, it's because no, they're Australians and they wanted to abandon the normal tactic of putting grand animals on, on coat of arms, like lions and tiger, if you're Scottish, right. uh, unicorns, um
3: horses, shit like that. <laughs> they well, went, they ben, went Ben Franklin wanted our national bird to be the turkey. I mean, that is fair, but of these, joke, but but these people live
0: funny, but really. these people live in a country where every new animal you see, if you've never seen it before if you are these convicts getting sent to Australia, every new animal you look at, your reaction is going to be, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> so, I think it's, it's like everything's you know, just a jackass. Like, can
1: you imagine never having heard of a platypus before and seeing a platypus? I still don't think they're real. I've never
2: seen one. Oh, like are you one of these platypus conspiracy theories? I have. I have, you you have. Seen well, I have absolutely yeah, seen okay. a live platypus. It was somebody fucking with it. No, it is not just the taxidermy monster like that no, mermaid it's not a from the last world. century.
0: It's, 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 not it. the, it's not the—it's not the—it's not that little Chinese skeleton mermaid that was yeah. in PT Barnum's original circus. Like it, it, yeah. You find them at
3: the—you find them at the ice walls on the edge of the flat Earth. Oh no. Uh, here, okay. I I, just, I'm, no, no, no. I'm putting, this, I'm putting this back. <laughs> it really Shut um, up! I'm putting this back
0: on the fucking rails because no. we're not going into the flat Earth. Now today. Netflix thinks
1: I'm a psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Well, before it was just giving me, like, that 70s show and, uh, like, how I met your mother, so
0: it thought I was an idiot.
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. And now it just thinks I'm insane. Okay, you
0: know? uh, uh, okay. <laughs> no, what we're talking about is we're, we're getting back to the round earth, and we're talking about today somebody who very much sailed all the way around the round earth. We're talking about Woods Rogers. This is part two of our series on Woods, uh, Woods Rogers. If you don't know who Woods Rogers was, he was a famed English sea captain, privateer, pirate hunter, and later governor of the Bahamas who is famed for both his autobiographical accounts of his adventures, his rescue of the man who would become the inspiration for the character of Robinson Crusoe, and his interactions with some of the most famous figures in the Golden Age of Piracy. Again, this is part two of a two-part series, so we definitely recommend that you go back and listen to part one. Now before-
1: or memento style and just keep going.
0: <laughs> so before we go into the second part of our story, let's acknowledge our sources very quickly. We have a cruising voyage round the world by Captain Woods Rogers, and as we discussed last time, this book is a piece of
3: garbage. <laughs>
0: it's awful. It is. It is utter shite. It is so bad. It's just
1: so dull. It's so dull because well, he basically just put his sea
0: journal into literary form.
1: Yeah, but I mean, even then, like he didn't really keep like any cool shit that happened like the part on Selkirk was like a yeah. paragraph yeah. yeah we found this guy we, like we sent some people out and they came back with crayfish and a guy
0: yep.
1: <laughs> and it was a whole thing like, <laughs> it was. Uh,
0: we also have a much much better source a book called pirate hunter of the caribbean by david courtingly who if you know very little about pirates in general you're looking for a great book that does a fantastic job of encompassing that whole world He wrote a wonderful book called Under the Black Flag, which along with Colin Woodard's Republic of Pirates is one of the best modern looks into Age of Sail piracy. And finally, that old standby that I mentioned last time, A General History of the Robberies and Murders of the Most Notorious Pirates by Captain Charles Johnson, who is an individual who may very much have a very close connection to our subject today. So gentlemen, any more points of order before we move into part two of the story? No, I think we covered Flat Earth. Flat <laughs>
1: Earth, emus. Yeah, um, we, we yeah. <laughs> yeah, we checked some off. pie yeah. Okay, did. so on the subject of this, I am going to come clean. Until like maybe a year ago, I thought narwhals were extinct.
2: They're uh, not. Yeah, no, I had no idea. No, they're not. None. I had
1: no idea. I thought they were all dead.
0: So moving on with the story.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I, just, like, I, I guess I'm just not in the...
0: You know, like all the like, botany and all the critters and stuff. I'll, I'll work on that.
1: You were botany and all the critters. <laughs> I'll work your description right. of the...
0: the Chris, your description <laughs> of the field of natural science is incredibly evocative. I well, would say.
2: I think that's the new BBC uh, nature show. <laughs>
0: <You're>... Richard Attenborough, <laughs> soothingly
1: talks. David about... Attenborough. Oh, David, not his <laughs> I thought that was the title of.
3: I thought that was the title of the Fox News documentary on Charles Darwin. Oh, that might have been. Oh,
0: God. <laughs> that might have been.
3: Botany and all the <laughs> So when we last left off on our
0: story of Woods Rogers, it's October of 1711, and old Woodsy had just returned from a three-year-long expedition in which he and his vessels had did circum- you just call him Woodsy? And I was just- about to stop. <laughs> okay. We'll all
1: right. Just so we're
0: good. In which he and his vessels had circumnavigated the world rescued Alexander Selkirk, the man who would become the inspiration for the character of Robinson Crusoe, and had managed to achieve their goal of capturing a wealthy Spanish treasure galleon taking over 200,000 pounds worth of prize value, worth about 22 million in today's cash. All by the tender age of 31, meaning he is younger than all four of us sitting in this room. That is upsetting. <sighs> that,
1: what about Jack? He's down there.
0: Well, that, uh, Jack's eight. He's down That's plenty. fair. Uh, okay, I... <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, Jack, I forgot about you. But a price had been paid. Woods' younger brother, John, had been killed by a cannonball, and Woods himself had ended up with disfiguring facial scars after spending six months with a Spanish musket ball in his jaw. And more would have to be paid very shortly after their homecoming, as Rogers would have to go would have another foe to fight after dealing with the Spanish and the French, the British East India Company. Now, the British East India Company, if you don't know, is a joint stock company that had been around since 1600, and had grown incredibly powerful. By 1711, the company had its own army, which it would eventually grow to be twice the size of the actual British army by the end of the 18th century, as well as its own navy, all funded by trade revenues, and it was through legal writ, passed by Parliament, that the East India would have a monopoly on all maritime trade involving British vessels at all points between the Cape of Good Hope and Cape Horn. If you were a ship's captain in that part of the world on an English vessel, You were either supposed to work directly for the East India Company, or anything you bought and sold from vessels to provisions to prize goods was meant to be bought and sold through East India Company brokers or facilities. If word got back to England that you made or spent a single penny from a source other than the East India, you could face significant financial penalties for violating that monopoly. Now, if you remember from the last episode, you'll recall that Woods and his ships dropped anchor in the Dutch colonies of Batavia, in what's now Indonesia, and at Cape Town, South Africa, both of which were run not by the Dutch government, but by the Dutch East India Company, a rival of its British counterpart. In Batavia, Rogers had sold off some prize vessels and used Dutch East India medical facilities to have that Spanish musket ball removed from his face, and in both places he purchased provisions for his ships and used their port facilities to make repairs. Any single one of these things constituted a monopoly violation, even the act of paying the Dutch surgeons to take the musket ball out.
3: It was grinding, though. When he'd move his... F- when, when he'd smile, the musket ball would move in his face.
1: Yeah, you got to, like, poke at it with your tongue. It yeah. would be <laughs> the worst, like, canker sore of all time. Uh-huh. And it, it left him with super gross scars, not yeah. like super cool scars. Which yeah. sucks. Because like most of the other people we talk about have like pretty awesome scars. No, he was just not painted on the left ever yeah. again. Well And that's
0: but that's the thing, it doesn't it doesn't matter what kind of pain he's in or how bad the medical need is, once he gets back, that's not going to stop the people who run the British East India Company from having dollar signs in there. Now, it was because of these dealings that when Roger's ships dropped anchor in the Thames River, the next morning, representatives of the East India Company boarded them with legal documents signed by the county magistrates, stating that they were seizing the ships and all goods on board. Word had gotten back of Roger's activities well before his actual ships did, and the ship owners and investors were already in the midst of a protracted legal battle with the company.
2: I'm really looking forward to the day where... The Amazon orange shirts kick my front door down when I order something from AliExpress.
3: Yeah, this was mm.
1: this was East India Prime, but it took <laughs> uh, yeah it, but it took
3: nine weeks. <laughs> and, and, well that was fast then. Uh, yeah. yeah. <coughs> oh I can't I just ordered ready. this
1: tea two and a half months ago and it's here already.
0: Oh <laughs> boy, oh boy, oh are not spoiled.
1: Oh my silks are here. <laughs> oh my gingham. <laughs> so but I do like that as soon as they got there the crew immediately started beating the shit out of East men. Like,
0: yeah. Just immediately. Like, they came on board and everybody just started fighting. It did break out into a very, very serious brawl. For, like, a brawl. while,
1: because they kept trying to get, like, they would, they would, like, kick the shit out of these guys and get the shit kicked out of them. Then the fight would break up, and everybody realized it wasn't worth it. Then they'd come back later with different guys to try to get the shit off the boat, because they said it was theirs. And everybody <laughs> on the boat's like, my ass, I just said her on a fucking flat <laughs> earth.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I
1: sail literally tens of miles through. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, so mind you this is also the time where the Thames is being prowled by press gangs so as they're beating the shit out of each other they have to stop and hide from the press gang yeah. so they don't get dragged into the navy
0: <laughs> <laughs> what did you say Chris? I it was, was like, like playing kids horse. playing street yeah, hockey Car, playing like street hockey car car, car! <laughs> game on so the The ship owners and investors that had backed Roger's expedition were already in the midst of a protracted legal battle with the company. They claimed that they had letters of marks signed by the Lord High Admiral himself, and as privateers had a greater right to the goods contained on board. They also said that the prizes had been captured in waters that the East India Company did not have exclusive rights to, which was true, and although some prize vessels had indeed been sold in Batavia, it was necessary so as to acquire provisions that were the only thing that could enable them to complete their voyage. Now, whatever the strength of their case they were at a disadvantage because the political power of the east india company that was able to wield was so great that a decision was made to agree upon a settlement an indemnity payment of six thousand pounds worth of goods to the east india company to pay off the breach of monopoly now this was in addition to a bribe of 161 pounds five shillings to an unnamed East India official to make sure that the company let the matter drop afterwards.
3: God bless them. So, corporations are bribing political entities to get what they want.
1: What a barbarous time. I'm, I'm
3: <laughs> so glad that never happens anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. So,
0: without setting any of these goods ashore, the expedition had already bitten deeply into its profits. But over the course of when the goods and treasure were cataloged and assessed, more trouble followed. The total haul was valued at 148,000 pounds. Although historians have examined the documents and said that market values at the time indicated the value of the prize haul should be somewhere between 200,000 and 220,000 pounds, so why the big difference? My theory is that the work—that this is the work of the East India Company again. Over the centuries of its existence, the leadership of the East India Company had a reputation for being a bunch of petty, vengeful little fuckers. And I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that some official got a bug up his ass about only getting 6,000 pounds in the indemnity settlement and placed some bribes in the right hands when it came to those appraisers and brokers dealing with the prize goods and the money just to screw with those involved in the Rogers Expedition. So another third of the total prize money just, poof, just disappeared. Now the first order of business, once all of this was out of the way, was the divvying up of the money. It was decided that two-thirds would go to the investors and ship owners and the other third to the men of the expedition itself. Now, the investors made a tidy profit, about a two-to-one return, which isn't bad for three years in a high-risk operation. And so they were all relatively happy. The ones that weren't so happy were the crews of Rogers' ships. They somehow became convinced that the actual value of the prize was somewhere in the range of about three million pounds and a group of 209 sailors who were convinced that they had been massively underpaid, instituted a case in the court of the Chancery against Rogers and the owners and investors of the expedition for an increased payout based on a completely made-up number, nearly 20 times the amount of what was actually captured. (laughs) Which served not to get them paid at all in the end, but merely held up the proper distribution of prize money and made a bunch of lawyers a shit-ton of money with the case going on for another three years.
1: three fucking years.
0: They had a petition to petition the House of Lords, mm-hmm. and all it took because three years. and all because some dude who showed up as they were docking, who claimed that he would help them work out their share of the prize, told them, no oh, no, the value of this prize should be somewhere about three million pounds."
3: Edgar Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just as. Des- <laughs> I mean, for, no, pretty much. <laughs> Not you. Yeah. It was the Edgar point. Now I don't the know Edgar if this—I don't
0: know if this guy is also apparently immortal. Like Edgar, Edgar Snyder was, was, it was Edgar a vampire. Yeah, he is a vampire. Yeah,
3: he's a vampire. It
1: was—it was the Daywalker, Lord Snyder. <laughs> if, if you're
0: listening and you're not from Pittsburgh and you don't know who Edgar Snyder, I'm—I'm I'm very sorry.
1: I follow the link in the bio. Yeah. I'll put a picture of
0: him up there. So, it may have been Woods Rogers himself, though, who had the hardest homecoming of all. Four months before he returned, his father-in-law and greatest ally, Admiral William Whetstone, had died, leaving Rogers not only without the influence that his father-in-law could wield on his behalf, but also without his share of the Admiral's considerable considerable inheritance. Now, I couldn't find a source that laid out in detail the exact process of how this happened, but thanks to legal wrangling while Woods was still at sea, what should have been a portion of the Admiral's estate worth in excess of 10,000 pounds ended up being merely a few hundred, and Woods needed that money. Because the whole time he had been away on his expedition, his family's shipping holdings had continued to take hit after hit due to Spanish and French privateering during the Spanish, uh, War of Spanish Succession and serious mismanagement in his absence, not to mention the fact that a serious chunk of his wealth had been put into the expedition itself, but without the contractual necessities to ensure that he was paid out with the rest of the investors. He was so convinced he was going to do so well out of this that he did not rake himself into the investor's clause in the contract. Now, as such, his family had been forced to move out of their handsome mansion in Bristol's Queen Square and were many thousands of pounds in debt when Woods came back. He was, however, going to get a payout as captain of one of the, his vessels, but unfortunately this only ended up being about £1,530, which was about a 50% loss on his original investment in the voyage. Jeez. What's worse is that while this was a pretty decent amount of money for the time, about three times what an average merchant captain would have made in that same amount of time... He could have simply stayed put in Bristol and made 10, 12, 15 times that, just running his shipping firm, even in the face of the difficulties that the war presented. As such, in the face of such crushing debt, Rogers declared bankruptcy. Now, having lost his home and his business, fighting an ongoing legal battle and in need of an income, Rogers turned to the one thing he had left, public recognition. He had been greeted as a hero on his return from his expedition, and so he decided that he was going to go the same route as every comedian or reality star with a fading public image does. He wrote a book. Now, it was a quick process, basically writing out his sea journal in book form, as we mentioned earlier. And although we've all we've discussed at length how dry and hard to read it is for us today, A Cruising Voyage round the World was officially published on June 26, 1712, and did start to sell pretty well. Now, it wasn't the only book published about the journey, and it wasn't even the first book published about the journey. An officer aboard um, Roger's other ship, the Duchess, named Edward Cook, managed to get a book called A Voyage to the South Sea and Round the World, published three months earlier, presumably because he wasn't dealing with protracted legal battles and a pissed-off wife. But it didn't sell nearly as well because, A, it didn't contain any detail about what the public saw as the most fascinating part of the story, the rescue of cast away Alexander Selkirk, and B, because Cook didn't have the name recognition that Rogers would have enjoyed. Now Rogers' troubles didn't cease when the book money started coming in, however. His marriage was strained because he'd just just been gone for three years, and now that he was finally back, he was spending most of his time outside Bristol promoting the book. The death blow came when their fourth child, a son, died at the age of eight months, and soon after, Woods and his wife Sarah permanently separated. Now there's an interesting detail in David Cordingly's Pirate Hunter of the Caribbean that says that the infant died at the age of eight months in May of 1712. Which may have been an error or a typo, but if the information is indeed accurate, it could mean that Woods came home in October of 1711 after three years away to a wife with a two-month-old baby, which would explain quite a bit of that marital strain. Now Roger spent the next several months promoting the book. But at the same time he's either unsatisfied with the amount of cash it's bringing in or he's got the old yearn for adventure going again and he comes up with a scheme now the war of spanish succession had ended with an english victory in 1713 and rogers saw an opportunity for the ascendant english to capitalize during peacetime he had been an advocate for the british to have more colonies in the pacific and indian oceans and one place he saw as right for a colony was madagascar where he had stopped on his previous expedition he would begin by buying slaves in madagascar selling them at a profit in the Dutch East Indies, and once he had gotten the attention of more investors and the government through his initial financial gain, he would then set about dealing with one of Madagascar's main problems. It was a pirate den. However, this pirate den was mostly made up of old retired pirates who had settled on the island, married indigenous women, and were eking out a meager living. Wait, Rogers-
3: wait, wait, wait. Okay, he goes bankrupt. hmm He writes a book, separates from his wife, Oh God damn it! Yep. God, God damn it. it! Hang on, hang on. We're not done yet. Steady. Buys into. Kyle a pe- got it. it at home. Buys into a piece of land known for audacious spending and retirees.
2: This, <laughs> this,
3: this is the Trump Taj Mahal. It is. Tell me <laughs> it's not. I hate it's everything Trump about Trump. this. What's What's me wrong. Say-
2: it's, you're 100 percent right, and it makes me sick. Uh, yeah,
0: <laughs> I'm up, I'm I'm not upset because you're incorrect. I'm upset because you are correct. <laughs> so, so now Rogers figured that if he could destroy or reform these pirates, his case to lead the colonization effort would be much stronger. Are you trying to tell me that he wants to make Math- Madagascar great again?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that doesn't fit as well on the front of a baseball cap. I found
1: uh, uh, what if, 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 Madagascar it's <laughs> <lot> <laughs>
2: <laughs> what
1: about Madagascar again well no, no read the other side start on, the, start on my left
3: magma
0: <laughs> no it, it was a beautiful circumnavigation it was the greatest circumnavigation
1: nobody knows more about being governor of Madagascar than they no, know, but nobody. nobody's ever made more money capturing a Spanish treasure april's. galleon it was the <laughs>
0: biggest treasure galleon ever captured so, right, so, yeah. So he figures that his case to lead the colonization effort would then be much stronger, as would the money-making potential of the plan. He sets about his first two steps: courting investors and in buying a ship, uh, the 450-ton merchant ship Delicia, and getting the permission of the British East India Company to undergo the slave trading. And what do you know? They gave him the okay. Now, sadly, no records can be found to prove what sort of deal he did with them or what palms he had to grease but it shows that he learned his lesson after the rigmarole of, of his last dealings with them. So in early 1714, Rogers rocks up to Madagascar and spends the next two months off of its shores. He spends that time acquiring slaves, but he also begins to work a deal with the pirates, who were by now s- kind of sick of life on Madagascar and just wanted to move on with their lives. Because they went, well, let's let's stay here because nobody's ever going to find us here. 20 years later, they're going, this place sucks.
1: Yeah, getting time somebody wants to acquire, like... Retire someplace quiet. Yeah.
0: It sucked. It's fucking horrible. <laughs> hey, that's that's what happened.
3: It's Florida. Yeah. yeah.
0: So he he confiscates their few small vessels that are still seaworthy and drew up a petition on behalf of the pirates asking England's Queen Anne for clemency. He then popped over to the Dutch colony of Sumatra, sold the slaves at a large profit, and returned to England in early 1715. One part of his plan did work. He gotten the attention of a larger number of investors, and the voyage was a financial success for all involved. Plus, he pretty much nullified the pirate threat from the island, making it ripe for colonization. But he hit some roadblocks. Number one, Queen Anne had died while he was away, and King George I had taken the throne, meaning he had to start all over with courting the British crown to his ideas, especially to a German king who didn't speak English. And two, while the British East India Company had given him the okay to go on a slave trading voyage in return for a cut of the profits, presumably. They saw a colony in Madagascar as a greater threat to their Indian Ocean monopoly than a few old pirates, and so they completely politically tanked any motivation to launch a colonization of Madagascar in the British government. The next couple years of Roger's life were pretty well undocumented, so we really don't have an idea of what he got up to, but we can be sure that he spent it courting some of the right people. Because in 1717 something was going on that had caught the eye of the English crown, and Woods Rogers would benefit from it.
1: That's a weird gap in all the books that you read about. Him. Yeah, but it's like, oh, that didn't work in 1714. Anywho, in 1717, yeah, yeah. So he gets himself a new, he gets himself a new gig.
0: <laughs> but we don't know what happened. It, it's, yeah, like a gap. it's all of a sudden, it's like when that interviewer asks you about that gap in your resume. <laughs> it was finding- <laughs> King was just out here vibing. I was in the, was in the he, Amazon, undergoing some ayahuasca journeys. He was bicycling through the, through the Alps, staying <laughs> in hostels. So, there had been a shift in focus away from the Indian and Pacific Oceans and back to the Caribbean and the Americas after George I took the throne. England's holdings in the Caribbean were weak in spite of her victory in the War of Spanish Succession because of corruption, mismanagement, a lack of public funds, and disasters like the Port Royal earthquake of 1692, go back and listen to Chris and I do our episode on that. That episode does not get the respect it deserves. It
1: does it's not. A damn good episode.
0: So, which destroyed England's primary power base in the region. There was a lot of money to be made in the Caribbean through the sugar trade and through all the other trades that were going on, but they were very, very vulnerable. And that brings up our other main issue, which is the rise of the Golden Age of Piracy. After the end of the war, there were thousands of Royal Navy sailors and privateers that were suddenly out of work and desperate to make a living. Quite a few of them took to piracy, and it was in the Americas and the Caribbean that they primarily hunted their prizes. One very special place in this world was the Bahamas, and particularly the anchorage at Nassau. Now, we'll definitely do a deep dive into the Nassau Pirate Republic at a later date, but to make a long story short, while the British Crown was ostensibly in control of the Bahamas, they had no actual power there, and it was run by the absentee Lord's Proprietor, who would just continually appoint new, powerless governors that would just stay in England. On the ground, Nassau was an absolute haven for pirates and was populated by several hundred of them, as well as many hundreds of freed slaves, fugitive criminals, and deserters from the British Army and Navy, her other colonies, or the colonies of other uh, European nations. And the whole thing was run by a council of pirate commanders with no allegiance to any of the crowned heads of Europe.
3: And I can tell you, 280 years later, Nassau was awesome, especially as a sailor. Mm-hmm. I wish I remembered it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: We're going to have a whole episode
0: just called Mike's Navy Base.
3: <laughs> Whenever Roger shows up.
0: Oh, that's, who am I kidding? That's that, a three-part series.
3: Yeah. And that's, again, I, I'm not, I, again, I'm not sure if I can remember all of it. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's actually just going to be a live, live recording of us doing
0: regressive hypnotic therapy. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, God.
1: Mike's just floating in the tub in the middle of the room. <laughs> but when, when Roger Rogers shows up to Nassau, there are as many as two thousand pirates just yeah. walking the streets. Yeah, that's insane. That's so
0: many fucking profits. And it's I, it, it, yeah, and they're making up about uh, anywhere between a third and two thirds of the population of Nassau at this point.
1: This is whatever Nassau has like six hundred pubs. Yeah, <laughs> for for all like seven thousand people that live there. So
0: in 1717, Woods Rogers brought together a, tr- a group of investors to form a company whose mission was to manage the colony and bring it under control in exchange for a share of the colony's profits. The company also leased the rights to the Bahamas from the Lord's proprietor for 21 years, for what amounted to a token sum, which was still more than the Lord's proprietor were making off of the islands themselves. As summer turned to fall and the pirate crisis in the Caribbean deepened, Rogers began outfitting a squadron of ships with men, weapons, and supplies to take the Bahamas back. On January 5th, 1718, though, he received what may have been his most effective weapon in the showdown to come. A proclamation was issued announcing clemency for all piratical offenses, providing that those who took the king's pardon surrendered no later than the 5th of September, 1718, and colonial governors and deputy governors were authorized to grant this pardon. The next day, on the 6th of January, 1718, Woods Rogers was officially appointed Captain General and Governor-in-Chief of the Bahamas by King George I. Over the next several months, final preparations were made. Four merchant vessels were outfitted. Our old friend from the Madagascar voyage, the Delicia, with 30 guns and 90 men, the 300-ton Willing Mind, with 20 guns and 32 men, the 135-ton Samuel, 6 guns and 26 men, and the 75-ton Buck, with 6 guns and 12 men. Alongside these vessels were a company of more than 100 soldiers and some 200 colonists, including those with useful trades like carpenters, masons, and coopers that would be useful for rebuilding the infrastructure of the colony. Fourteen months' worth of provisions were placed aboard, as were tools and equipment for building houses, clearing land, and repairing old fortifications. <laughs> Over £90,000, about $14 million bucks in today's money, was invested in the effort. With the King's blessing and Roger's new rank behind the expedition, the Royal Navy and the Admiralty pitched in as well with three ships, the 32 gun HMS Milford, The 20-gun HMS Rose and the 10-gun HMS Shark, and a total of 350 sailors and soldiers aboard, joined the operation. On April 22, 1718, the seven vessels set sail out of the River Thames and headed west. Three months later, on uh, July 22, 1718, the flotilla arrived at New Providence Island without warning, surprising and trapping in the harbor the famed pirate captain Charles Vane, who will, like several of the other figures we're about to uh, mention, be the subject of future episodes. For sure. Now Rogers attempted a negotiation to which Vane's response was to threaten to burn all of their ships and kill every last one of them. Vane was trapped but he had a plan. Loading all of his men and valuables into two small shallow draft sloops and loading a captured French vessel with flammable materials that night he set fire to the French prize and aimed her at Rogers' ships hoping to catch and burn at least some of them in the narrow channel that was the harbor entrance. He was using a fire ship. Now, fire ships have been used for hundreds of years. They were used as a weapon against the Spanish Armada, and they can be very, very effective, particularly when it comes to breaking up formations of ships. Because in a wooden sailing vessel, fire is your worst enemy. In a metal
1: sailing vessel, fire in is enemies, your worst Yeah, enemy. I was going to
0: say, in
3: any vessel, your fire, <laughs> fire is your worst and enemy. And you
1: wouldn't think so, because it's a boat. Like, oh, we have all this water. Well, now you've got a bunch of water yeah. in the boat. Well, and, <laughs> well What you also have is a bunch of powder.
3: And, and the thing is, is where and this is what... This is what we always got taught. Where are you going to go? Yeah. You're 200 miles out to sea. You fight it, or you die. Yeah. You, you're right. not swimming. Right. You know. So
0: the English crews, however, were alert, and they hoisted top sails and cut anchor cables, avoiding a terrible fate at the hands of the fireship. but they were forced out of their blocking positions at the harbor entrance, and Vane's two sloops made good their escape. And on July twenty-seventh, Captain Woods Rogers, now his excellency Woods Rogers, Esquire, Governor, Captain General, and Vice Admiral of the Bahama Islands. That got that got laid out in the Courtly
3: Book, and I yeah, just did
1: he go you, to law school?
3: <laughs> <Like maybe laughs> I fuck nose, dude. Wouldn't you be pissed if he walked into a ballroom and you you were the porter? And you had, and had, to, had to announce <laughs> it. <him. laughs> you just
1: keep like taking note cards out of your pockets. <laughs> Just throwing them on the floor, you look like David Letterman. It looks like the Bob Dylan video where
0: he's dropping them. (laughs) So he finally lands on New Providence Island to assume control. Now, a council was immediately formed to help inform the new governor of the issues that needed to be addressed, and work soon began on making the necessary changes and improvements to Nassau. The first major order of business was the implementation of the pardon. Over 200 pirates, including well-known pirate captains, like, Benjamin Hornigold and Henry Jennings accepted the king's clemency and took the oath of allegiance to the English crown.
1: I did, in my research, find the single funniest thing I've ever read regarding pirates. And it is about Hornigold. And I don't want to wait for the Hornigold episode, so I'm going to break it up and throw this at you. Go on. 1717, when Hornigold is out there doing his thing, whenever he's still a pirate before he goes he goes full snitch. <laughs> Uh, they came upon a Spanish merchant vessel, and they they pull up alongside. They strike their colors. The crew surrenders, and they're pleading for their lives as the pirates, led by Horn of Gold, come across the rails. And he has to explain them. He's like, "We don't want your stuff, but we got really drunk last night, and everybody threw their hat into the ocean. We're here for your hats." So they took all the hats, <laughs> and then got back on the boat and left. That was it. <laughs> like, yeah. It was like, it, I believe the account said the merchant was all, was allowed to continue on her way. They just stole their hats.
3: <laughs> what the
1: fuck? <laughs> yeah, we uh, tied one on last night and threw our hats
0: into the ocean. What's so a life lost. of crime without a little bit of whimsy? Come on. Well, that
3: was considered, from what I understand, that was considered quite the insult, though, to take a man's cover. Well, I...
1: I mean, hey, there's,
3: the, there's a certain tradition to that. I would it's, rather, you
1: know, I would rather give a guy the hat, like my hat than have him cut my throat.
3: True. Because
1: you know, True. like Net Lowe's hanging around at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Charles, <laughs> Charles Vane was an
0: absolute motherfucker too. Yeah, yeah. Right.
1: and These guys loved setting you people know. on fire. It was like, they that was their thing. They laughed and they clapped their hands. Ha
0: ha ha, he's on fire. Rock Brasiliano. We, rock talk. was, yeah. we, we yeah. talked about Rock Brasiliano not long ago. Yeah. He was
3: earlier but he, he cut a was... dude's arms off and roasted them in front of him some of these men ate them <laughs> like, like,
0: this was not uncommon i mean yeah compared to that stealing a, stealing the hats of a spanish group, not exactly not exactly the video crime video. of the century so yeah so well-known pirates like benjamin hornigold henry jennings they accept the king's clemency, they take the oath of allegiance, several hundred other pirates do as well, and good work was soon being done, such as the repair of the harbor's fort, which was in a state of near collapse, and some of it actually had collapsed, uh, the construction of new homes and an eight-gun cannon battery to protect the harbor while repairs were ongoing, and the organization of three companies of militia. There were many setbacks, however. The first was a moral setback, in my opinion. All repair work was considered voluntary, if you were white. All African or native inhabitants, most of whom were freed slaves already, were placed back into a state of slavery, made to work long days in the heat without days off, with no pay or promise of any kind of freedom. The next setback was that the expedition had been struck by an unnamed disease, likely yellow fever or something similar, which barely touched the island's inhabitants who had built up an immunity, but took the lives of nearly 100 of the expedition's members in less than three months. News reached the island, too, that Charles Vane was threatening to rendezvous with Edward Teach, the famed Blackbeard, to launch an attack to retake the island. And additional intelligence reached Rogers that the Spanish, who were now once again going into a state of war with the English, were planning to launch an attack as well in order to drive the British out of a position that sat square between several of their colonies. To make matters even worse, over the course of several weeks in September, all three of the naval vessels that were accompanying the expedition departed, as they were under no orders to stay, and left Rogers' civilian ships with their asses in the wind. And the island's citizens were starting to show a disinclination towards heavy work, making the repairs and upgrades to Nassau's defenses slow as hell. On top of all this, Rogers sent two vessels under a flag of truce to negotiate with the Spanish governor of Cuba, but those vessels revolted and turned pirate (laughs) mid-voyage. Oops. So... Bad few weeks for Woodsy. Yeah,
1: no, it's not going great. Not going great. Especially, like, you you got more than half the dudes that took the pardon were like, oh, man, glad we're not pirates anymore, and then immediately went back to piracy. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So, in response...
1: Things are not going his way.
0: So, in response to all of these threats, Rogers declared martial law, and upon receiving word that Vane was at Abaco Island, 120 miles north of Nassau, He sent Captains Hornigold and Cochram... (laughs) Spelled Cochram, yes. Yeah!
3: Woo! To
0: try and track them down. While Vane was too strong for (laughs) Hornigold to attack, he did manage to rescue a pair of vessels that had been attacked and then set adrift by Vane. And then Vane sent several more letters to Rogers continuing his threats, promising to retake the port and burn the Delicia to the waterline. But in early November of 1718, he was deposed by his crew... After his refusal to attack a French warship about three times the size of his vessel, um, because they considered him not launching a suicide attack to be an act of cowardice, well, and cool. um, he was replaced at, by his second-in-command, a fellow who we will again discuss in the future, named Calico Jack Rackham, who left Vane in a small unarmed sloop and sailed away with the rest of the flotilla. Now, a month later, Vane ran into a storm and was shipwrecked on a small deserted island in the Bay of Honduras, an English ship arrived to collect fresh water on the island, and Vane tried to join the crew under a false name, but was recognized by an old acquaintance and was arrested. No, my name is John Smith. Oh, Charles Vane! I remember you! Chuck!
1: Hey!
3: hey! <laughs>
0: I
1: know that guy!
3: Based on modern docudramas, was he recognized by his very, very large <laughs> penis? No.
1: It was, did he see him in the shower? It's like, holy hell, that's gotta be Vane! <laughs> <laughs> A man remembers a hog like that. <laughs> yeah, Jesus Christ! If you guys haven't seen uh, the Charles Vane full frontal scene in uh, in Black Sails, uh, just watch it. Just watch it. It was it, like apparently we got some
3: grief for
1: uh, referencing the size of Zach McGowan's member, but
3: uh, big. It wasn't so much grief; it was questioning. Ah, that's good. <laughs> 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 your,
0: your initial thoughts in this scene will be what the hell's wrong with his leg? That's oh. exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I like, oh my
3: god. So, thanks,
2: thanks again for visiting this week's Penis Corner.
3: Next week, we'll discuss Typo Negative and Peter Steele. Yeah. Oh god. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> Charles Vane and his massive dog. <laughs> taken, presumably, in two separate ships. Yeah. It's a prison in Spanish Town, Jamaica. Was...
1: Put her in the <laughs> longboat. She's dragging. Was, what the hell? The, the sounding... He e- 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 yeah, e- e- tied... He tied... He
3: tied knots
1: in it. Yeah, not five fathoms!
0: Six fathoms!
1: <laughs> fat <laughs> They yeah, he saw Vane in the shower, but, like, it was still outside. It was, like, on the beach.
3: He's, like, following it. He place. leaves it outside
2: think... like a horse in front of a saloon. <laughs> I think you would have a
3: python on your neck. Holy shit! So, Charles Vane.
0: Charles Vane was taken to prison in Spanish Town, Jamaica, and was found guilty of piracy and hanged. On March 29th, 1721. He was hung over so, oh, yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> he got hung with his own dick. <laughs> sure,
2: just wrap it around.
1: <laughs> the bunny goes <laughs> around the hole. <hall.
3: laughs> so, Did about it Jesus. have its own castle? Talk about yourself. So I fucked myself
1: up there. <laughs> this, is, this is just painting a... This is Nanny with a weird brush. He fucked himself
2: when he sat down too quickly. (laughs) Kyle, back to the
0: basement. So Hornigold was sent out again. Hornigold is sent out again, and this time he captured a small pirate sloop after a brief fight, taking ten of her crew captive and sailing back with them to Nassau. Now it was time for Rogers to fully earn his mantle of pirate hunter, but he was presented with some problems. The first, there was no jail. Second, he wasn't sure if he had the authority to order executions if necessary. And third, he's possibly going to hang some pirates on an island surrounded by hundreds of former pirates, some of whom probably knew these guys who were going to be on trial. And that sets you with the risk of Rebellion reversing all the progress you've made over the last few months. But 22 pirates, all members of the former crew of Ya Boy (laughs) Steed! your Boy Steed Bonnet had just been tried and hung by the governor of South Carolina, so a precedent had been set regarding Rogers' authority. And if he didn't try them and execute them for piracy, he might look weak, and that could also encourage rebellion. So on December 9th and 10th, 1718, the 10 men who had been held in the brig of the Delicia there's your answer to not having a jail, were tried in an admiralty court. After two days of testimony, nine were found guilty and eight were hanged at the waterfront, with one being given a last-minute reprieve by Rogers himself because he came from a good family. So, uh, there's your, uh... uh, who's, Who's that kid who, like, killed a family of four and got a slap on the wrist? Brock Turner. Well, no, oh, no, 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 that the was the slap on the, the wrist rape. guy. Yeah, he was the one that... Uh, was
1: what, was, what was the... What was... Yeah, it was affluenza. Affluenza, mm, yeah. yeah. He just got mm-hmm. arrested. We have Yes, yeah, again. Yeah, and Now, it, like this one's going to yeah. stick because it's a probation violation.
0: Yeah, we uh we have some age-of-sale affluenza there. Uh, so the executions had the desired effect. The populace was cowed and now knew that Rogers really meant business and were soon on their best behavior. A few weeks later, a plot was discovered several residents intended to overthrow Rogers and return Nassau to its former free pirate state, but it attracted little to no support, and Rogers merely had the conspirators flogged and released as he saw them as posing no real threat. So by early 1719, some things had been proved for Rogers. He had a reputation for staunch justice and no tolerance for pirates, and many of the most popular pirate captains had fled the region or were dead. Blackbeard fell at the Battle of Ocracoke Inlet in November of 1718, Vane had been deposed by Rackham, was about to be captured, and Jack Rackham had just taken a pardon, ending his pirate activities, activities, at least on a temporary basis. But the new war against Spain was heating up, and Nassau's defenses were in a shit-awful state. In order to speed up construction and repairs, Rogers began to pay laborers out of his own pocket to fix the fort and build new batteries. and and was also purchasing many of the tools and goods needed, as well as barrels of gunpowder and a large amount of small arms and cannons, including eight 18-pounders and eight 24-pounders. These are big, expensive guns. Now, he he bought most of these on credit with the hope of being reimbursed later by the expedition's investors and the Admiralty. Now, Spain sent a fleet against Nassau in May of 1719, but they diverted away after learning that the spanish settlement of pensacola florida had been captured by the french who were now england's ally in this particular war this brought rogers quite a bit of time to continue to improve the defenses and in february of 1720 these would be put to the test now do we know where bonnie and reed were at this point uh mary reed and Anne bonnie at this point they didn't take the pardon they did not take the pardon right. so they would have separated from rackham at this point uh, they
1: were in jail with Bonnet, weren't they? Weren't they? No, no they doubt. were in the
0: same jail that held Steve. So they bonnet. were in the same jail because it they were jailed in Charleston, it, it right? And the they were both
3: bonnet. pregnant and fled their bellies.
0: Yeah, um, which so turns may out already, half of
3: them were actually pregnant.
0: Which may have um, which may have happened already by this point. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact timeline. I would have I've, I'd have to look it up.
1: I'll go ahead and take a look at that one.
0: So the Spanish put together an attack force in February of 1720 of 1,300 men and 12 ships, all heavily armed, but when they arrived near the entrance to the harbor, they found a completely repaired fort and additional batteries with a total of 60 heavy cannons, (laughs) along with the now 40-gun Delicia, as they'd upgraded her in harbor, and the visiting 24-gun frigate HMS Flamborough. Here is where the story diverges between two separate accounts, one English, one Spanish. The Spanish claim that they forced their way into the harbor and engaged the fortifications allowing three columns of troops to land on the harbor side of the town and raise it completely to the ground. They surrounded the fort, they forced it to surrender, and they captured hundreds of people and took tens of thousands of reales worth of goods with them. Now, the English claim is that the Spanish never even attempted to take the harbor, but landed troops on the far side of the island and managed to make their way into the outskirts of town, but were repelled and driven back to their boats by a counterattack from 500 English militia. And what we've learned from archaeological evidence, particularly in burning and from financial registers, is that, like many stories with two sides, the truth is somewhere in between. Now, it appears that the Spanish did engage the English defenses and caused some uh, minor to moderate damage, but never broke through on the harbor side. They likely landed troops, making their way into the town from the land side, and they were repelled or did retreat, but not before looting and burning a significant part of the town, (laughs) as much as 25 to 30 percent of it. The other piece of information that we know uh, is that for all of the preparations he oversaw, Woods Rogers was not in Nassau at the time of the attack when his defenses were being tested, (laughs) having sailed to Bermuda to speak to merchants there to arrange a new line of credit to make more purchases to bolster the defenses and to recruit more men. Now, peace with Spain came shortly after in summer of 1720, and the Spanish threat ended, but troubles for Rogers continued. He had overextended himself financially and was getting no positive response from England regarding reimbursement from investors or from the Crown, and was now unable to get any additional lines of credit from merchants in the region, and was now over £20,000 in the hole. He suffered what was probably a mental and physical breakdown and and left Nassau for Charleston, South Carolina, where he spent six weeks trying to regain his health, but that didn't quite work. As he ended up getting wounded in a sword duel he fought, against Captain John Hildesley of the HMS Flamborough over some minor disputes they had regarding the captain's actions while in port at Nassau. Troubled by a lack of response from England, Rogers then set sail back across the Atlantic in March of 1721, and after arriving three months later, he found that a new governor had been appointed in the course of his journey to to replace him, and as members of the Parliamentary Council of Tr- uh, Trade and Plantations was unsatisfied with Roger's abilities to quickly turn the Bahamas into a money machine while at the same time tamping down pirates and defending the island from an enemy that was closed in on literally all four sides. Oops. Well, sorry. You know, he was a little busy. Uh, yeah.
3: He had a lot on his plate. He did.
0: Yeah. And now he also found that the company he had helped to th- uh that he had helped found to start the whole effort in the Bahamas had been liquidated without his input or notification, in part due to what was called the South Sea Bubble, where the value of the largest joint stock company involved in the colonization of the Americas and the Caribbean completely tanked after years of fevered speculation in the sales of shares, losing millions of pounds and sending shockwaves throughout the English economy. Uh, King George himself lost 56,000 pounds when things went bust, and suicides in London were 140% higher than usual according to the Bills of Mortality, which were published lists of how many people had died for what reasons every week. Uh, if you want if you want a fun read, go back and read some of them from like the 16th and early 17th century. <laughs> very sounds like deep. a good
1: time. I can't <laughs> wait to wet my whistle with
3: those.
0: Those are very entertaining.
3: But somebody pulled a mate off. Pretty much. I mean... Yeah you know that kind of spe- that kind of rapid speculation and well
0: and it's very very similar to the housing bubble yeah. in
3: in the last decade
0: yep. yeah it's i mean it's almost exactly when you real- when the market finally realizes that way more value has been pushed in than the company's actually worth or what the material goods are actually worth the bubble bursts that's what happens So what all of this meant is that Rogers was now personally on the hook for all of the expenditures made in the fortifying and rebuilding of Nassau, and that led him straight to debtor's prison. Now he stayed there for some eight months, reduced to hard physical labor, and and he was only released after his creditors finally heard the full story, took pity on him, and absolved him of his debts. In 1723, he was approached by a man asking him for information about pirates in order to write a history of what had recently happened in the Caribbean. And Rogers was happy to oblige. The next year, a general history of the robberies and murders of the most notorious pirates was released by a man writing under the pseudonym of Captain Charles Johnson, and the book became an instant hit on both sides of the Atlantic. Now, this is very, very interesting, too, because Captain Charles Johnson, we have another connection to not only the pirate hunting part of Woods Rogers' career but the first part of Woods Rogers' career because Captain Charles Johnson may have been, gentlemen, Daniel Defoe.
3: Daniel Defoe.
1: We don't have any concrete evidence that Charles Johnson is Defoe, but it's pretty much universally yeah. agreed upon and it also lends a lot of credibility to that theory because he was able to go directly to Woods-Rogers. Which
0: implies they already they, had a pre-existing relationship. They already mm-hmm. knew each other. He was able to get essentially an exclusive interview. Yeah, because Defoe had done the same thing while in the process of writing Robinson Crusoe, getting details from, from Woods-Rogers about the rescue of Alexander Selkirk. I did look and into why Johnson
1: was never able to uh, interview Selkirk
0: directly. It was
1: because he lived as a recluse. Mm, yeah because uh, he gave some interviews and then he went super nuts said he was never going back to sea then went even more nuts and then went, went back to sea, to sea and then immediately died of yellow yeah. So, yeah so yeah, that, that, it was, is... that was a bit of a downer and, yeah. that reason. but yeah that's because my question was like why the hell wouldn't Daniel Defoe ask Selkirk he like he, they were in the same town
0: but the reason was because he Selkirk didn't want to talk to anybody yeah no, no.
1: well I mean you gotta think the guy lived alone for a very long time you yeah know? Like, and like, his English was bad because he hadn't spoken in so long. He was away for well, so the only, the, long. The only the English, English
0: he was speaking was he would repeat the Psalms to himself. So he would speak in verse. Yeah.
3: To a volleyball. <laughs> oh, wait. Sorry. Wilson, I'm wrong sorry. Cast, wrong castaway. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> My favorite part is when he used a
1: uh, figure skate to
3: blast his
0: tooth out of his skull. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That volleyball had you, to see things that I just say, can't be unseen. I was going to say, I know
0: the face on Wilson got made from a bloody handprint, but do you think there were other fluids on that? Well,
3: that's volleyball?
0: why he was. That's why he just looked so shocked. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, the other thing
3: too is that Rogers knew a lot of people, so yes. it would have made sense for whoever was Charles Johnson, mm-hmm. and We'll we'll say that it was Daniel Defoe to come directly to Woods Rogers and say. You've been a merchant. You've been the governor. You've been a pirate. You know a lot of people. Tell me about it.
1: Yeah.
0: So, but it's because of the material in the work regarding Rogers that paints him in what I can only describe as a more favorable light that he was once again catapulted to a level of national fame. And public attention once again focused upon him. Now, this led to a certain amount of sympathy regarding his dismissal from his governorship in certain circles, and it was a letter written to the king on his behalf by eight senior army officers in 1726. And King George I was sympathetic and not only granted him a pension, but made it retroactive from his dismissal in 1721. <laughs> so Rogers ends up getting a big payday. Yeah, Now, George I died in 1727, but his son, George II, go figure, uh, knew well of Woods Rogers' reputation, and on the 22nd of October, 1728, appointed him as governor of the Bahamas for a second time. Now, Rogers returned to a Bahamas that was not in much better shape than the one he'd left. A hurricane had blown through three weeks previously, tearing off roofs and blowing down market stalls, killing several people. Because and, Bahamas. Oh, because Bahamas. Oh, <clears> in a way... Well, at
1: least the island crack in yeah. half and slide into the ocean. But True. Because that. that did happen.
3: <laughs> that story made me yawn. Oh, go, back and, go back and listen.
0: So... Uh, And a wave of disease had just come through, weakening the population and killing hundreds more. Uh, The defenses were in a rather parlous state as well, I will be kind in saying that. Uh, The fort was in good repair, but the wooden gun carriages for most of the cannons were completely rotten. And when they fired a 15-gun salute to mark the arrival of the new governor, five of the gun carriages fell apart completely. Nice. Yeah. So, the population also was still tiny. At the time, the English colonies of Barbados and Jamaica had populations of 61,000 and 62,000, respectively, while all the islands of the Bahamas could muster was a mere 1,388 souls. Only eighty, only 800 acres of farmland were under cultivation. Now, some things had improved. Infrastructure in the town was, much, was in much better shape, port facilities had risen up, waiting for the commerce that they were built to serve, and a council of 24 members of the colony, which was one in seven of the European male population was in place to assist in governments. Another thing that had also improved, there was ongoing peace with Spain that would last until the amusingly named War of Jenkins' Ear in 1739, and the pirate threat had all but disappeared. While at the height of Rogers' first term as governor, it is estimated that between 1,800 and 2,400 pirates were active in the uh, Caribbean, this number may have dropped as low as 120 to 150 by 1728. So Rogers wasted no time in making things difficult for himself, though. He always was good at withstanding misfortune, but he never seemed to have the knack of precise and deft political dealings. When he arrived and took office, he almost immediately instituted a new tax on the population to help revamp the defenses even more, but this was shot down by the Assembly. So, Rogers disbanded the Assembly. (laughs) Members of the Assembly wrote to England, asking for a new governor who would be willing to work with the Assembly. Realizing that he needed public support for any of his efforts, Rogers reconstituted the assembly only to have the cycle repeat again and again. This is the one thing that defined Woods Rogers' second term as governor in the Bahamas, the endless cycle of refusing to deal with the assembly and bringing back the assembly because in order to govern he had to deal with the assembly, who he then refused to deal with. As many as a dozen times this cycle repeated himself. And in spring of 1731, Rogers once again returned to Charleston to try and recover What were his frazzled nerves and now failing health? It didn't work. Although Rogers returned to Nassau in July of 1731 trying to continue his work, he never recovered from what was ailing him. And on the 15th of July, 1732, at the age of 53, Woods Rogers died in Nassau. He left his estate to his son William and daughter Sarah, stating in his will that he was a widower, even though his wife Sarah was still very much alive and would live for nine more years after Woods' death. In an ironic twist... His son, William, went to work as a merchant for the Royal African Company and caught yellow fever and died in 1735 in the colony of Ouida, in what is now Benin, where the man his father rescued, Alexander Selkirk, who he had catapulted to fame, had caught the same disease and died from it 12 years earlier. (laughs) Alexander Selkirk caught yellow fever in Weta. Now, he died at sea and was buried at sea.
1: He was buried
0: at sea. Therein lies the difference. But yeah, they both uh, died from the same. Both his son and the man he rescued died
3: from the same disease caught in the same. When place. you say WIDA, are you talking the the, the same spelling as the? There's, there's two pronunciations.
0: There's two pronunciations. It's it's it was the the colony in in Benin. I believe it was started by the Portuguese and then the English took it. Um, it's spelled either Q U I D A H or W H Y D A H, which became a um, the name of I, I think the,
3: Sam Bellamy's. A, yeah, Sam Bellamy's was a slave carrier yeah. when he captured it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, was it was yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was Yeah, Yeah, he was huge. Um, so yeah, so Woods Rogers is not generally remembered alongside the famed pirates he interacted with. And his story tends to get overshadowed by stories of war, castaways, and the adventures of men like Blackbeard and Charles Vane. But he played a crucial part in all of these stories. The biggest honor he received after death was to simply have a street in Nassau's Harborside neighborhood named after him. And the motto of the Bahamas, until they gained independence from the UK in 1973, was "piracy expelled, commerce restored." piratas restituta commercia," and that was until
1: '73. Yeah, that's insane. Well, there's, there's still, a... there's, I mean, there's still a pretty yeah, big statue of them there,
3: mm-hmm. and there's still a commonwealth. There's, uh, the, the Queen still lives oh very much there. so yeah. Yeah. you gotta
1: figure whenever he showed up there were more than 2,000 uh, 2, active pirates and by 1726 there were less than 200
3: there were only 1,300 people on the island I think I could live there I think I could live on an island in the Caribbean with like 1,300 other people mm.
1: Didn't we just talk about this? That's what he said about land, about Madagascar. It turned out to suck. It wasn't as wacky as the... No, I don't want far, to be far fewer, far fewer singing and dancing animals the bank, than the, the, the media would lead us to believe. Chris Rock vehicle. <laughs> so now yeah. You, I mean, you gotta figure whenever he showed up, all the ten pirate captains accepted. Yeah. And whatever the captains didn't accept, by extension, their crew did not accept. But that's, that's a big chunk.
0: Yeah. That's a lot. I mean, and that's instantaneous, almost. Yeah. Because... Even
1: though, as we discussed earlier, a lot of these guys took the pardon and then immediately returned to Pirates.
2: Well, there's literally no reason not to take they it.
1: They had, like, a little <laughs> parade for them. They, they like, mocked yeah. up a naval formation on the beach. They had them walk under, like, cross sabers and shit.
0: But even so, when 25, 30, 40% of your strength disappears in any situation, you are immediately weakened. You are immediately weakened, and it creates shockwaves, and it creates fractures, In what is this this brotherhood almost? And it it, and it it really was. I mean, we didn't have time in a two part series on on each other quite a bit, and we didn't have time in a two part series to get into all the details of this. I mean, a lot of these stories you will then hear in uh, the deep dives we're going to do into some of these captains. Vane burned
1: burned a prize and threw it at the blockade. Yeah, that's that's an act of desperation. Oh yeah. Yeah, he's well, no, here's, no, here's he a detail.
0: No, here's a detail I forgot to include that I just remembered. About two weeks after he did that, he's bit bopping around the Bahamas. He realizes I don't have a pilot. I don't have somebody who can guide this actual ship. Oh. So in the dead of night, he he and some of his crew snuck back into Nassau kidnapped some and kidnapped there. a guy who they made their pilot. And then escaped again and Woods Rogers and his people never ever knew that he was there
1: I mean, what he did what what Rogers' legacy was that he forced the hand of guys like Spotswood mm-hmm. and guys like Big Big Bucks Chuck Charles Eden yes. he forced their hand these guys were very comfortable with pirates and I mean with Charles Eden it turns out like he had a lot of backdoor trade with those oh, yeah. pirates mm-hmm. and now you can't do that anymore
3: well, the reason Teach ended uh, the region, the reason Teach ended up in Oga was because he had been—he
1: went to his house, Yeah. right?
3: <laughs> he, he was hanging out with Eden. Charlie, his house. What up, my G? It's, it's,
0: well, and again, that's another big contributing factor to why we see the numbers of pirates disappear so much. Yeah, now they didn't have anywhere where they could go to ground. They didn't have safe havens. I mean, and and. I mean, you end up with people like Bart Roberts who then make their way to the West African coast. Um, Ironically, after several years after he helps deal with the pirates who were in Madagascar at the time, Madagascar once again became a pirate haven in the mid-1720s and late-1720s and had to get cleared out again. Um, But, yeah, he plays such a crucial role in all of these stories.
3: And he never receives that sort of recognition for it. It's kind of like Forrest Gump. I mean, an intelligent Forest Gump. I don't mean the. I was going to
1: say he's not like, like he's not like he's Luke like, Raven stalling his way through. Like no, no, but the <laughs> the accidental there. <accidental>
3: <laughs> no, but he, it, it, the, the people that come into and out of his life, not by accident, but definitely in a lot, in a lot of ways by chance, mm-hmm. that he happens to be in the same place at the same time. A lot of the renegades and rogues that we talk about. Yeah. I mean, we talked about, you know, John Paul. Well, the Golden Age of Piracy is you know, Like,
1: especially in that, like, these guys are going mm-hmm. to, there's going to be a lot of, a lot of these people were friends.
0: A lot of these guys had known each other from all the way back to their childhood days in England. Yeah, it turns out mm-hmm. that Teach. Because they all, well, they all grew up in these, these port towns and these West Country communities and places like Bristol and Cornwall. Yeah, I mean, how yeah. many
1: we talked about have come from Bristol already? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Teach was, was from Bristol, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it turns out that it's not the most popular theory, but there is one prevailing theory that he may have grown up with Woods Rogers. Yeah. So this is not. really They were about good. the same
0: age. Mm-hmm. They very well could have known each other. So
1: teaches what was it? his father could
0: have been the the in or the uh, the groundskeeper. Yeah. It's yeah. So it's um. So that's our series on Woods Rogers. Everybody, thank you very much for listening. Um, we have uh. Have anything we want to bring up? Any events coming up that I, we want to talk about? I have our
1: facts about Bonnie and Reed. Oh, thank you. The rest. Yeah. Um, the last we hear from Ann Bonnie is uh, she has the baby in 1720 in prison. Okay. And then that's yeah. it. And even Johnson says that there's nothing else there's nothing else written about her except the fact that she was not executed. Yeah. So the, the only thing we know really? is that she was not executed and she had the baby. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was
3: a possibility that her father was a governor or. There's some
1: prevailing theories right, that she yeah. got out of there and.
3: Basically she was put into a, my understanding, I've, my, I've heard, my theory is that she, or the, the, the theory I yeah. heard was that she, there was either a lordship or a governorship involved with her father and basically she was put in a home in an estate somewhere to sort of tuck it that, that tucked away. I know that
1: her child like a monastery. Yeah. Yeah. It was right. another one, like they, they were... They sent him back to England, and she became nun. There's a bunch of, these. I've, you know, I've um, I've heard a story that it
0: was it was the governor's wife who like uh, talked to her a couple times and took like great pity on her and then talked her husband into granting clemency. And there's there's a whole bunch of different. Oh, we know stories. Is that she
1: was not executed. Um, as far as Mary Reed, uh, she died of a fever in prison in 1721. She is buried in St Catherine's Church. Uh, there is no no mention here of. Um, a second funeral for the child which, mm. <laughs> or anything to happen to the child after so it's led to believe well, it leads me to believe that she died while she was pregnant but uh, she died of a fever she was actually given a bearer. yeah hey you mm. go see your grave it's still there it's still okay <laughs> oh yeah life. i've i've i've
0: i've seen her gravesite yep still there when i was in when i was in charleston last year uh,
1: um. she is buried in jamaica Oh, uh, she started f- Oh, what am I thinking of? There's a couple of them. There, There's a couple of them, no. But no, not hers.
0: I'm thinking of somebody. I've, 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 there is a gravesite in that Catholic church that it's it's some pirate There's a couple people. pirates there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, what about Mary Critchett? That was a girl. Mary Critchett. Is that it? might be her.
0: Might be her. Yeah, no, that might know. be one. I know that
1: Mary Critchett was one of the. Another female pirate. There was another one whose name escapes me, but I know Margaret Critchett was definitely
0: one. So, uh, yes, thank you everybody for listening. Um, Kyle, do we still have, are still looking for volunteers?
2: Yeah, uh, and in just in general, uh, if people want tickets, uh, to remind people, uh, March 5th, I help run uh, the Crush Grapes Wine Tasting Event at Nova Place in Pittsburgh. It's on behalf of Sisters Place, which is a really wonderful charity. Um, SistersPlace.org has all the ticket information, or reach out to me on any of my platforms.
0: That's March 5th, go to SistersPlace.org for tickets.
1: What are your platforms, Kyle, just to help the folks at home?
2: Uh, I am on Facebook for those people, uh, and then Twitter, I am at Kyle Graper one I believe. Bear with me a second.
0: I mean, it's, at least it's not Kyle Graper 2. At least you were the first Kyle Graper. I'm
2: actually the first Kyle Graper. It's at Kyle Graper.
1: Oh, nice. Aha. Sweet.
0: Nice. That check, Mark Killing
2: that other yeah. one was the right call. <laughs> I mean,
1: I had to be. I knew.
0: Then you immediately got more powerful. Here, here's what's worse: is on Twitter, I had to be meat neck too because there was already a meat That's I'm upset. <laughs> so, did, they, uh,
1: did the Rays ever get there? Is it the Rays in MLB? They don't. They're not at Rays. Somebody, somebody has. It's like reality. a pizza place it, or something. It's like Rays Pizza Place. Or oh, something that's amazing. Like I can't remember who that one is, but they won't. Wall- yeah, he won't yeah. give it up. So yeah, it's it's like ex- Ray, yeah, yeah, his name's like Ray S, and he yeah. won't give up at Rays. It's like, oh man, I got to, Well, okay, it's me
0: social media, Chris. Where can they find us? You want to find us on
1: social media? You can find us on Instagram at TRR Pod. Uh, we are at PodcastTRR on Twitter, Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades on Facebook. Uh, you can hit us up with a quick email at TRR Pod at gmail.com. If you have any questions, concerns, comments, any more
3: uh, Micronet erotic fan art. Um, well, and, 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 well and that's. Uh, that's uh, I really didn't want to steal your And yeah, Their interpretations I've got, of your
0: broom handle mustache are just... I, I,
3: I wanted to let you know, as, as, the, as the current cult leader for the Bob Crane sex cult, mm. um, I'm instituting a new rule. There's going to be... I don't care
1: what the rule is. I love it already.
3: <laughs> there's going to be a no-shave march. And I'm not talking about the face. Here's the stipulations. You I will take indulgences, if you wish, to manscape or ladiescape. Um, all you have to do is <laughs> send money to the Thieves, Rose, the Renegades way, with, with podcast and that will be accepted as an indulgence. As a religious leader, what
0: are you thinking? Because the sale of indulgences is how you get a schism. We've been over this for 500 years.
3: There's no schism when there's only five people. <laughs>
1: That's fair. And uh, And I was right. It is the Rays. They Sir, if there's Ray's enough for a quorum, there's
3: enough for a schism. They are not, Ray,
1: not a baseball team. Slikinski <laughs> at Ray S. Nice. It's, Ray not a baseball like team. So they are at Rays Baseball. So tweet at, uh, at race baseball and call big old dorks for not being able to buy out Ray S. Yes, please do. Um,
0: also, if you'd like to support what we do, um, please go to patreon.com slash trrpod for as little as a dollar a month. You can uh, or give as us as, as, $10, for as much as $10,000 a month for the grand poobah level. You can, uh, give us a little support. Every penny we make through Patreon gets put back into the podcast for the acquisition of research materials, uh, in, uh, Improving uh our recording equipment and eventually going towards actually getting a dedicated studio space as much as we love it here in Chris's kitchen. Uh it's close to the fridge. It, it, well, we can put a fridge in the studio space. Nice,
3: nice. We can do that, Michael. We have Great. the power. Well, any, any just not the power any, of the cult on any one of my cult members that gives ten thousand dollars, that's considered not only indulgence, but plenary.
2: For ten dollars a month, Michael will send you
0: nudes. For twenty, he will not. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
1: My eyes.
0: So that's gonna yeah. So that's gonna conclude the section on Woods Rogers. Next week, uh, we're getting to something very very fun, uh, What I can only describe as a true caper. We are talking about the Great British Train Robbery. To go along with bake-offs and. Everything else. This (laughs) this is a fun story involving a whole bunch of dumb cockneys. Prepare for (laughs) four. (laughs) (laughs) Prepare for four wildly different British accents as we uh, as we talk through this story. You know, when you said "great," all I could think of was.
2: There
1: we go. There's
0: another one. There. Any, any, anything else before we finish, guys? We, we any more Catherine the Great? Any Bob cabin boy? Any cabin know, boy references? Anything? We covered Catherine the Great. We covered Bob Crane's sex call.
1: All the tick marks. Are... We, got, we got Ray S. Who will not cowl to the demands of the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> you, stay strong, Ray name.
0: you stay strong, Ray S. You stay
1: strong, Ray S. Now fuck Ray S. Give it to the Rays. You're an idiot. <laughs> I'll we'll make, we'll make him pay you, you, Ray pay you. Out out pay at least Ray S didn't asshole.
3: cheat
0: man you No. you, you, you turned <laughs> on a dime on that one
1: Chris <laughs> Ray blow out <laughs> give it to
0: the Rays so yeah so that's uh, that's it for us this time we'll catch you next time for the Great British Train Robbery uh, God don't don't uh, you know don't spend money out of your own pocket unless you know you're going to get reimbursed public effort, uh, don't don't
1: tell them not to spend money out of their own pocket with right after Patreon. Don't no, but, <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> but, they know, right. but they're listening to our material. They know they're getting a
0: return. Right. And, and our podcast is not a public project. We're worth it. We we're are not like infrastructure. Or more.
3: Yeah, we're not
0: twenty. We're not going to put you twenty thousand pounds in the hole. I
2: mean, we're willing to, though. We will.
0: I'll put whatever you want in the hole for 20000
2: There you go.
1: <laughs> nice. Yeah!
3: <laughs> Third Eye Blind. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Wait, we really...
1: Third Eye Blind made that song. It was in, like, every movie trailer ever, even though it was about doing math, like, killing yourself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Before this... Uh, before After this... Oral sex. This is the whole oral, oral
3: sex it. verse. So All right.
0: No okay, you know what? No, but before this gets <laughs> any more off, off so the so rails and we hard suck hard up any hard. any Chris, shut up. Stop a second. Okay, saying. we're ending it. Hold fast. Bye. <laughs>